Hello and welcome to Building Local Power, a podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. My name is Nick Stumelanger and I'm the Communications Manager for ILSR. This week's episode of Building Local Power is a conversation between John Farrell and the director of ILSR's Energy Democracy Initiative and Steve Fenberg, a Democratic State Senator from Boulder, Colorado. Farrell also spoke with Fenberg way back in 2014 when he was executive director of New Era Colorado about the work his grassroots group was doing to fight the power of monopoly electric utility XL Energy in his city. This conversation focuses on the ins and outs of local activism for renewable energy. Fenberg explains to our audience how local organizing power can translate into solid political wins and that it's not just about fighting against something, but fighting for something. In his case, committing Colorado to a bolder and more renewable future. You can find links to everything John and Steve talk about on the show page for this podcast at ilsr.org. That's ilsr.org. Support this podcast by going to ILSR's donate page at ilsr.org donate. Help keep us going. Finally, please rate, review, and share this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Your engagement helps us get great guests like Senator Fenberg and helps others to find this feed. And now, here's the interview. Welcome to another edition of Building Local Power, a podcast talking about the ways in which communities can build their local authority over their economies uh, and the strategies uh, that have been employed across the country. Well, I'm John Farrell, uh, the director of the Energy Democracy Initiative at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and today I'm speaking with Stephen Fenberg, uh, who I last spoke with three years ago for a different podcast, almost four years ago, actually, in March 2014, uh, when he was with New Era Colorado. Um, when at that time they had just won a ballot initiative by a narrow margin to keep the city of Boulder, Colorado, on track to take over its electricity grid from the incumbent shareholder-owned corporation, Excel Energy. Stephen, welcome back to the program. Well, thanks for having me, John. Appreciate it. So I just wanted to read a quote from that uh, interview that we had back in 2014 to give some context for what you were working on then, because I think it really uh, captures the theme of what I see as the work that you've done since then. Um, you know, I had asked you about mm-hmm. kind of what your intentions were, and you said that your goal in terms of what, what you saw the work in Boulder being as a model for other cities was, quote, that not everybody municipalizes, you know, not everybody's taking over the electric grid, but there's the threat that communities should have the leverage to get what they're asking for. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, they're the customer, and if they're being provided a product that's not in line with their values, they should be able to have the leverage to demand something better. So I was curious, could you just share briefly, you know, what it was that Boulder was trying to do um, back then three years ago and, and why that incumbent utility company wasn't doing enough to satisfy Boulder's uh, residents and businesses? You know, th- this is, I think, a conversation that in uh, more and more is happening around cities in Colorado, but all over the country, really. But, uh, you know, the, the idea really is that more communities are demanding that their energy sources are, are from, from cleaner sources. And um, that was the case in the city of Boulder when it started the conversation uh, as a community uh, about the prospects of municipalization. But it wasn't, you know, necessarily out of some deep desire to, to not be a customer of that particular utility. It was more about, uh, you know, they wanted something that, that the utility wasn't able to provide. And that's a much cleaner um, energy source, uh, and also to have the decisions at the local level about where those energy sources come from, but also things like, you know, being able to um, deploy new technologies and and make decisions about what they think is the the, the best policies um, for their energy future. So that that was the idea 
Um, other communities have been watching Boulder, I think, very closely. I know the, the city of Pueblo here in Colorado is in conversations in their community about uh, what the future might hold for them. Uh, and then there's other cities, uh, especially large cities that clearly use a lot of energy or having conversations with their utilities about making sure that maybe they're not going to municipalize, but making sure that they have uh, an energy source and, and portfolio that that meets their community's values. So the city of Denver has said that they want to be on a path to 100% renewables. Their utility is Excel Energy. So Excel Energy has to take that seriously, not just because of Boulder, but because the city of Denver is such a huge customer base for them that it's only the smart business thing to do uh, to, to try to please them and give them what they're asking for. So, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about on this podcast, Building Local Power, is about monopolies and about the concentration of economic and political power. And one thing that is, you know, <clears throat> striking about the work that you were doing in Boulder is that Excel Energy is a monopoly. You know, they're, they're a state-granted monopoly. We have these in lots of places across the country. 30 states uh, do the electric market this way um, and give companies a monopoly. What, what Boulder is doing is essentially saying, we need a different choice entirely. We can't operate uh, we can't successfully get what we need from this company that controls the system. Do you think that a, a city, like you, know, you mentioned Denver, do you think that when they have these requests that Excel really does have to respond to them, is that threat of municipalization significant enough that it will motivate them to change? Or do they have that advantage of incumbency and the control over the system that allows them to ignore that local interest? Well, I, I think it's on a case-by-case basis. I think overall... And historically, we've seen that the incumbent utility typically can ignore that. And they have the ability to sort of get away with that by saying that it would be, you know, a horrible path to go down as a community. And it's, there's so many unknowns, it would be expensive. And that's a pretty compelling message. So I, I would say, yes, they typically do get away with it. And they are typically able to kick the can down the road. I mean, they did that with Boulder for really for decades. Um, because this isn't a new conversation uh, for Boulder. It was going on for a long time. And, and these contracts, these franchise agreements with the utility are often 20 years. So communities don't have the opportunity or the option to hold that threat um, over the utility very often um, if they're in 20-year contracts. So I, I do think you're right that these utilities do have uh, an immense amount of power and authority and uh, financial resources behind them. Uh, and that's a challenge. And um, that's why I think what's happening in some of these communities is really exciting because there's not a technical problem. There's not a technical inability or a technical barrier that is keeping communities from uh, being locally controlled and having a democratic choice of deciding where their energy comes from. It's, it's really a political and sort of a, a legal barrier uh, that is is the real issue, and and that's what why I think having these successes, no matter what these cities and communities actually end up doing, but the fact that we are having this conversation, they push the envelope to where we even are today. I think that means that legislators, politicians, elected officials need to be having the conversation of how do we provide communities more choice, whether that's community choice aggregation, allowing a smoother path to municipalization. Uh, competition. Uh, there are many op policy options, um, but I think we've proven that we've gotten to a point where the options on the table right now are not nearly enough. 
One of the things I think was really terrific is that after uh, what happened in Boulder in 2013, and then they've had to have a subsequent ballot initiative to keep the process rolling, another quote you offered in our 2014 interview was, you know, that what happened in Boulder gave folks hope that there are things you can do on the local level that can have a big impact. And, you know, one thing, obviously, that you can do at a local level is to elect representatives to higher levels of government. And I hear that since 2014, mm-hmm. when we spoke last, the folks in Boulder have a new state senator. <laughs> That's right. Some young guy uh, <laughs> that has no experience. Uh, no, yeah, I, in 2016, decided to to throw my hand in the ring and run for state senate. And um, I was fortunate enough to get elected. So I have uh, been in the legislature now for um, a little over a year uh, we, we, we did one complete legislative session and we just started our, um, our 2018 session a couple of weeks ago. So you already have a couple of energy-related bills that I've seen that seem focused on local power, one about the rights of folks to install energy storage and another one asking utility companies to make better plans for distributed energy like rooftop solar. You know, why is local energy like mm-hmm. that important? And I guess, are you proposing other legislation that promotes local power, you know, whether whether you're talking about electricity and energy or, or in other forms? Colorado historically is a state that really embraces the, the concept of local control. Um, sometimes that's that, uh, that meets uh, my policy objectives and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I would say we're, we're somewhat um, not predictable in when we uh, want to give communities local control and when we do. But uh, in this case, I, I think it's, you know, it's clear that Colorado, Colorado's constitution allows for communities to do things like have local control over their energy decisions. In fact, 29 cities in Colorado already do that. Um, so I am interested in the issue. I think it's part of the Colorado uh, way of life and philosophy and way of governing. Um, and um, the, the bills that I've sort of been working on so far in my short legislative career are, are in, in many ways kind of in, in line with that, that concept. Um, one of which is to uh, not necessarily on a community or city level, but to actually on an individual level to give individuals more choice and options um, uh, and more authority over their own personal energy future, such as allowing them to, to install energy storage systems in a way that uh, makes sense and in a way that engineers think is safe and reliable and, um, and reasonable, um, even when utility might prefer them to do it in a different way so they can retain control. But for me, um, you know, this, this isn't being anti-utility. This isn't being uh, anti-certain types of utilities. It, it's about uh, saying, you know, people want a cleaner energy future. We, we know that's uh, the case these days. Technology has caught up to the point where technologies are out there that can get us there much faster than the path we're currently on. And so there shouldn't be these regulatory barriers to keeping individuals as well as communities from uh, being able to use these technologies and new um, new opportunities to, to have more control over their energy future. So in some ways, it's, it's little d democracy. In some ways, it's about clean energy. In some ways, it's, it's just simply about individuals being able to sort of have control over their own destiny. I think, frankly, it's important in a whole different variety of, of issue areas. There's the utility energy issue, but it's also, I think, important when it comes to communities having decisions of where um, oil and gas extraction um, activities are allowed to occur. Right now, they're happening pretty much next to homes and schools and 
uh, areas where many would say it's it's not somewhere where an industrial activity like that should occur. Um, but right now in Colorado, communities don't have a have a, an opportunity to decide where those activities are. So I think it crosses more than just energy use, but also energy extraction. And then even, you know, down to things like decisions of um, uh, related school funding and taxes. I think it's important for communities to have direction over their own destiny. And it looks like in another way, too, and I hat tip to my colleague, Chris Mitchell, who works on this issue, but Colorado seems to also be a leader in cities taking charge of their broadband infrastructure and passing resolutions in order to build out their own fiber networks to make sure that their economies are not dependent on outside corporations providing them affordable and accessible uh, internet access. That's right. That's been a big issue at the Capitol over the last couple of years and a big issue for local communities. And and it actually um, intersects in an interesting way with the local power issue because uh, we are seeing the communities that have control over their own energy utility are actually the ones that are able to move forward on public broadband uh, much faster than others because they can essentially just uh, use the, the the lines and the infrastructure of the energy utility that's already owned by the citizens and basically just add broadband um, to that infrastructure. Whereas here in Boulder or in, in the city of Denver or some other communities that have a monopoly energy utility, they have no ability to force the utility to allow them to use their infrastructure to, to run the wires. So uh, we're seeing communities like Longmont and Fort Collins um, move forward on, on public broadband, and we're seeing that it's significantly faster than what the companies are offering and also significantly cheaper. Um, so it's a better product. It's better for consumers. It's better for uh, community development to, to have accessible Internet for everybody. Um, and again, it's one of those issues where it's a regulatory problem um, that has created a landscape where uh, local communities don't have a decision uh, or don't have a, a feasible option uh, for making that investment and that decision for themselves, but instead have to do essentially whatever the monopoly utility or uh, private broadband company wants them to do. So I have kind of a, a bigger picture question that plays off of that around this notion of local versus state oversight or control. You know, when we talk about energy, we have utility companies that are regulated at the state level. Uh, That's often true with broadband providers. And there were a couple of of recent uh, events in the past year uh, in the energy sector, at least, I think that highlight this question. One was just in the past few weeks, a huge expose about the political power of the big monopoly uh, shareholder utility companies making very risky bets with uh, customer dollars thanks to state legislation that gave them the power to essentially collect money for power plants that were incomplete uh, and that have now failed. There, uh, there was a very big nuclear power plant project both in South Carolina and in Georgia, uh, and just a remarkable expose of the enormous cost that's going to be borne by folks for many, many years because state regulators were either handcuffed by the legislature or didn't really do their job uh, in terms of due diligence. And then you have another example that actually involves Excel Energy, your utility company there in Colorado, your electric utility. In Minnesota last year, the state regulators were saying about a new gas plant the utility wanted to build, well, we'd just like to think about it a little more and make sure that we're making a cost-effective choice. Well, the utility unleashed its 50 lobbyists on the 200 legislators in St. Paul, Minnesota, at the state capitol, and got a bill passed to allow them to go ahead and build that power plant. And it's going to be a, you know, a billion-dollar infrastructure investment that will 
significantly reward the company's shareholders and as much as a $5 billion expense over the life of that power plant. And so my question is, you know, is the is the oversight that we have of these companies when they get so big sufficient to manage and, and make sure that the public interest is protected? You know, what do you see as the future here? You know, you mentioned before, like, uh, the technology is moving really quickly. There are these opportunities that we can jump on, and these folks don't necessarily move very quickly. Um, you know, how do we address that, mm-hmm. and, and what can we do, if if anything, at the local level? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a good point. We, we all probably have our opinions on private interests and corporations lobbying elected officials, right? I mean, it, it's it's something that I think we have come to recognize as just a part of our system. It's it's been held up in courts as free speech, um, and for for better or for worse, it's a core part of the democratic process right now. But when that company or that private interest is a regulated mon- monopoly, a state-sanctioned monopoly, I think it's I think there's something even more sort of obscene about it, and that they are making their profit entirely off of ratepayers that have no other choice but to buy the, uh, uh, the product from this company. And then when they influence the process, um, it, it creates, a, I think, a pretty vicious cycle where, um, you know, regular uh, individuals don't have much of a voice for us to get the table. And in many industries and in many situations, their voice is by saying, well, I'm not going to buy your product. In this case, they don't have that option. So I do think it's it's very problematic. I think the... The other thing is in many states and in Colorado, I mean, the utility is mostly regulated at the Public Utilities Commission. And and I think that's appropriate because a lot of it is very complicated and the legislature probably isn't going to have the expertise to, to manage the, the regulations for, uh, of the utility industry on a day-to-day basis. But if we think Congress or state legislatures are complicated for regular people, the public utilities commissions are very complicated and you basically can't participate unless you have a very high powered attorney. And not only that, but you probably are going to need a team of high powered attorneys because that's what the utilities always have. And this is what they do, right? They live and breathe the regulatory arena. And so they know everything about it and they control the system. Um, Maybe not in a overtly corrupt way, but um, indirectly, they're pretty much uh, running the show in in the regulatory scheme of things. So, so I do think it's a problem. Um, I think we need to allow more um, public input and more uh, voices of regular ratepayers, consumers, and, and the like. Um, I also think we need to think about when it's appropriate to to not have monopoly utilities in charge of every aspect of some of these industries. So. Uh, it, it may make sense in many states to have a monopoly run the transmission, for instance. But when it comes to the distribution and maybe the generation, uh, I don't know that, that we're at a place where we still need to have that as a government regulated monopoly. And I think those are conversations we're starting to have more and more here in Colorado. And I hope they're they're happening elsewhere around the country, too. Do you think uh, that there are any spillover from the trends in national politics over the last year that are either helping or hurting this effort to talk more about local control and authority? Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, you look at the decision around uh, net neutrality at a federal level, um, immediately a lot of people at a local level were saying, well, we've never had a better reason to create a local uh, community broadband system. 
because then we could have net neutrality essentially on, on the system because it would be publicly owned at the local level. On the positive side, I think people are reacting to what's happening federally and hopefully being, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, demanding more of a voice and more control and paying more attention than maybe they otherwise would. On the negative side, a lot of what's going on at a federal level is going to have uh, ramifications for decades to come. I mean, on the FCC, as we were just talking about net neutrality, that's going to have uh, a profound impact in the near future and, and for years to come after that. But um, there's also uh, decisions happening at the federal uh, energy courts as well, um, where a lot of the regulatory rules and guidelines really do come down from the federal government and then states implement. And um, the, the current conversations happening at federal level, generally speaking, are not, not positive for local control and for local decision making uh, for people's energy future. So I think it's having good and negative impacts, as a lot of things do. Uh, in politics. The the best part, though, is I do think people are waking up and getting more involved and engaged and paying a lot more attention. And in the long run, that's, that's what we're going to need to make this shift. So we always ask guests on this program to give us a reading recommendation, a recent book, magazine article, web article. Uh, I know I'm springing this question on you unprepared, so it'll take a few seconds. But uh-huh. I probably don't have as much time to read these days either now that you're busy being a legislator. But if there's something yeah. that you would recommend. Well, I'm reading a ton, but none of it's all that interesting. <laughs> Is there anything you could recommend to our listeners that you've come across recently? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I, uh, I think there's a handful of things. I think the, the Naomi Klein, um, This Changes Everything book is, is a, a critical um, it raises some critical uh, points for, for the time we're living in right now. I think my biggest recommendation is read from time to time something other than the news, <laughs> because right now the news, I think, can be pretty depressing. And, and, you know, it does sometimes, I think, make us angry and want to mobilize into action to do something to fight back. But at the same time, I think it's, um, it, it's good for the long-term health of the movement and for the individuals that, that do a lot of this work to to make sure they're they're thinking past just the the immediate um, political uh, circus that's going on and thinking about what we need to do now in this moment in this opportunity uh, that's going to lay uh, the groundwork for for a much uh, more profound and longer term impact um, in in the long term. So I guess in some ways I would say whatever you can get your hands on that provides tools, resources, information, guidance on. Uh, how to capitalize on the current moment to create long-term impact rather than just short-term electoral impact in the near future. Sounds great. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I really appreciate it. Sure. Take care. Keep up the great work for the people of Colorado. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Building Local Power podcast. You can find links to what we discussed today by going to our website, ilsr.org, and clicking on the show page for the episode. That's ilsr.org. While you're there, you can sign up for one of our many newsletters, connect with us on Facebook and Twitter, and rate and review this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Join the conversation online by using the hashtag buildinglocalpower on Twitter and Facebook. This show is produced by Lisa Gonzalez and me, Nick Stumelanger. Special thanks to co-hosts Stacey Mitchell, John Farrell, and Christopher Mitchell, all excellent ILSR experts. Our theme music is Funk Interlude by Dysfunction Al. For the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, I'm Nick Stumelanger, and I hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of the Building Local Power podcast. Thank you.